one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, a guide to grammatical terms. Your teacher is Tiger Webb, the ABC's language expert. Good afternoon. Hello. Before we get into the tussle of the complexity of these and how the smarty pants who tell you off sometimes don't realise just how contested a lot of these rules are, can we go back to the beginning? Who, who invented the idea of these fixed grammatical parts of speech and, and so forth? Well, yeah, that's the, the really interesting thing, I think, is um, uh, something that I hear quite a lot when people complain about uh, broadcasters' use of language at the ABC is, you know, we, we don't even know our parts of speech anymore, our word classes, which are viewed as a very elementary thing that we should get right. And the interesting thing about the history of, of parts of speech uh, is that um, they don't actually come from English at all. It's a sort of Latin and Greek tradition that we've inherited. So uh, I think the the earliest that this gets fixed a lot of the time is with um, a Greek grammarian, a guy by the name of Dionysius, sorry, Thrax. Uh, And he wrote a uh, a treatise on on grammar called The Art of Grammar in the the first century. And he divided Greek, of course, he was writing uh, in Greek into eight parts. So these are the the parts of speech, Uh, noun, verb, participle, pronoun, preposition, adverb, conjunction, and article. That was what he thought the essential parts of speech were. Now, Two centuries later, uh, the great thing about grammar books is they're often very plagiarised. Um, a Roman author <laughs> called Donatus um, copied the whole idea of parts of speech, but he did it for Latin. Uh, he, in fact, he even plagiarised the title. He, he called his work The Art of Grammar as well, uh, although he was writing in Latin, so the, the name was Ars Grammatica rather than the Tecne Grammatica. Um, and it, the funny thing is, Richard, that just two centuries later, the parts of speech had changed. Oh, his listing this, had. You know. Yeah, so um, articles had gone by the wayside, something that had seemed to be this elementary, uh, totally basic part of speech uh, was now gone by the wayside, and that was because Latin doesn't have uh, a definite article in the way that Greek does, or indeed that English does, and so it wasn't viewed to be one of these parts of speech. Mm. Um, And and then if you you fast forward to more recently, a lot of anthropologists and others say they've got a problem with the whole idea because uh, it's it's claimed as if it's transferable to lots of languages, but they're they're unclear whether it's even that applicable to, to English. Absolutely. I mean, so I think as a bit of a reaction to this idea of, oh, we've inherited these these very terms for discussing basic parts of grammar from Latin or Greek, there was an idea towards the end of the, the 19th, early 20th century um, in some of the structuralist grammarians um, that, you know, we should do away with, with words like noun or verb altogether because uh, they they come weighted with this, this baggage from a particular language family tradition that we don't necessarily need to apply to... Um, you know, languages in the Native American context or indeed um, here in Australia with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander languages. So probably the the most extreme example of this was a a guy called Charles Fries, who was a a structuralist. He had... this thing called the, the mechanistic approach. So if he, he was looking at a sentence like, the concert was good, that's his sentence, the concert was good, uh, and rather than saying that the parts of speech here are, oh, well, the is an article, you know, concert's a noun, um, was is a verb, good's an adjective, he would label them, uh, the parts of speech were A, 1, 2 and 3, which is a bit farcical <laughs> in the other direction, I think. Mm, I'd rather verb and noun in that particular example. But let's take an, ex- uh, an example. Subject, verb and object. Uh, anyone who studied a little bit of grammar just at school would have heard those terms. They're more slippery 
though, than some people think. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the, I was surprised reading up for, for this segment that the, the definition in the OED for uh, the grammatical idea of a subject is that it's the part of a sentence uh, on which uh, the rest of the sentence is predicated. Now, already, <laughs> that's probably going to be confusing for some people. One, because it's a pretty uh, tricky definition anyway. But secondly, because people might have been taught about a thing called the predicate in English. And so you're wondering, well, what does that mean? Um, but Subjects are pretty simple, really. It's uh, in a sentence like Mary went home, for example. Mary is the subject because Mary is the thing that the whole sentence is arranged around. Um, and so the, the predicate or the, the verb and the object there are something like went home. So, yeah, I think already you're trying to talk about what a subject is. Maybe the simplest thing you could, you could think about sentence composition and you're running into these tricky definitions about what a predicate is uh, and it kind of implies that you need to know what a verb and an object is. You can see why very quickly people get very uh, angst-ridden, I, I guess you could say, about this kind of stuff. But, but, but in, that, in that example, and I write that, that, that it's quite simple, Mary is the subject of the sentence, went is the verb and home is the object of the sentence, yeah, the noun. Mm. Yes. So that's not slippery at all. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, the idea that you might say, oh, a subject is something upon which the rest of the verb's uh, sentence is predicated, that's hard because already you're dredging up, you know, dimly remembered ideas of what a predicate is. Um, and again, you see, like, introductory de definitions, things like objects are words that complement verbs. And that's tough because over time, there's also been a, a um, concept in grammar called the complement. So, and in my lifetime, I think the terminology around uh, the instruction of grammar has changed quite a bit. So some people might say, oh, okay, well, what was the complement again? What does that do? Why, why do I have that rattling around the old brain cage? So is the complement, why is it, why is a complement, so if it's, uh, if, if it defines the noun, why isn't it, uh, you know, an adjective? Well, the complement, I mean, it's a term with some use, and the reason why they call it a complement, by the way, these terms don't come from nowhere, they're mostly rubbed from Latin. So complement um, comes from the Latin complementum, uh, and the idea is that it, it's uh, a thing that fills up or completes. So um, complements or, or objects uh, in sentences, they, they fill up or they complete the sentence. So if you take a sentence like he saw the old newspapers, for example, um, the complement, the thing that completes or fills the sentence is the old newspapers, because without it, you just have he saw. And of course, you're, you're left there wondering, well, hang on, what, what is it that he saw? You need an, you need an object, you, uh, you need uh, a complement. It, it completes and it fills up. Mm. Now we come to the passive voice. Now, uh, this is uh, a lot of people regard this as, as, as something that you shouldn't use, particularly in things like journalism. People like George Orwell were, were very much against the, the passive voice. What is a, a passive voice and why are people, particularly uh, people who, who want to write in a muscular fashion, why are they so against it? Voice, Richard, very broadly speaking, voice, any kind of voice, that word in grammar, it really refers to the sort of relationship between uh, the subject of a sentence uh, and, and the action in, in the sentence. So uh, if we talk about um, a, a sentence that might be pretty similar to a news report, uh, the car crashed into the shop front. Um, terrible sentence, but there you go. And, and that's in the uh, active voice, I guess you could say, because um, the subject of the sentence, the car, uh, is the initiator of, of the action. It's doing the crashing. The car crashed into the shop front. Now, um, that's the active voice. If you wanted to make it the passive, it's basically the opposite. You, um, you try and make uh, 
the subject of the sentence be the recipient of the action. And so rather than the car crashed into the shop, you've got the shop was crashed into by the car. <laughs> okay, at and that point I agree with George Orwell. The, the, that, that sounds silly. Well, it does sound silly. And I think, you know, again, if, if you're in the business of creating hard and fast rules, then maybe it is okay or fair to say avoid the passive because already the shop was crashed into by the car is more wordy. Uh, it's, it's, less, it's, tr- it's trickier to say. Um, and the other thing that I think people, uh, makes people avoid the passive voice, Richard, is that um, it's very easy to just say the shop was crashed into leave the sort of agentive sentence uh, away and you just end up, um, I guess, eliding agency um, from <laughs> who's done the crashing, who's done the action. And that's something people can get very upset about in news reporting, I think rightly so. Okay, but you're saying don't make it a hard and fast rule because actually there are points where the passive voice is useful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are times where, and again, thinking of news reports as a sort of canonical basis for this, um, you might want to emphasise the action that's happening in a sentence uh, on where it has happened. So uh, I guess you could say um, militants bombed the hospital. Again, these are all very horrible example sentences. I'm sorry, I'll I'll try and think of uh, cheerier ones next time. (laughs) But uh, the hospital was bombed by militants. What you've done there is you've emphasised the recipient of the action by moving it to the subject position. So that's not, I think, any less muscular. Um, The bombings still happened. You haven't changed the truth value of the sentence. Um, So, yeah, the the blanket idea that you should never write in the passive, um, I think, does rest on a a slight misunderstanding of what the passive can do, because it can bring uh, the the object of the action to the forefront. That's what the passive voice is. Um, Yeah, but uh, people get very dogmatic about that, I think, because people like Orwell. uh, They like his writing and they just remember it. Yeah, and you still get people complaining about, oh, they use the passive voice on the ABC News. That's that's a disgrace. <laughs> I do, and and uh, often this is the funny thing for me is that these people who complain, oh, I saw something in the the passive voice and it infuriated me. Often it won't be the passive voice, the grammatical feature at all, Richard. It'll just be some kind of wishy-washy turn of phrase, you know, a quote from a, a corporate flack or something, at which they don't like. But it's not actually the thing they're complaining about. They're, they're wrong in a sense to say that's the passive voice because they're referring to a very specific grammatical thing. <laughs> just a, a final one, just quickly, transitive versus intransitive. Again, people get very tense about it. Yeah, well, I think really here, the thing I'd say about grammar is that you have these terms. They are very obscurantist. Uh, they are just come from Latin. So uh, the, the transitive idea, I guess, is the same thing in a word like transit. Uh, it's the idea of passage, of channeling, of, of crossing over. Uh, and that's exactly what, what transitive verbs do. They, they cross over to an object. Um, so you take a verb like buy, uh, as in buying a car, that's a transitive verb. Um, and you can kind of see it, things fall down when you use uh, transitive verbs without the object that they cross over into. So uh, take the buying a car example, uh, I bought what is it that you bought? I bought a house. You need that uh, sort of object. You need that crossing over of a transitive verb in order for sentences to work. Okay, but intransitive verbs can work without that uh, object, can they? Yeah, they can. So uh, you take a verb like uh, arrive. I arrived. That's a full sentence. It's an intransitive verb. It doesn't need an object. Uh, and you can tell because if you want, you can add an object to it and it will sound really silly. I arrived the house. 
it doesn't <laughs> work at all. And people know this intuitively, but I think some of these terms, and I guess the legacy of, of how a lot of grammar instruction has uh, kind of gone into people over the last 100 years or so, mm-hmm. uh, people get really ang- antsy about it, but it's all stuff you know anyway. Uh, you just sometimes have trouble putting into words. I can. Sometimes when uh, it is uh, very slippery, uh, blame it all on the fact that all this is brought from Latin, which is a different language. Exactly, exactly right. So Latin is a dead language. It's as dead as dead can be. It killed Julius Caesar and now it's killing me. The old schoolyard <laughs> rhyme <laughs> still <laughs> contains wisdom. Hey, uh, thanks very much for the lesson. Oh, cheers. There you go, Tiger Webb, the ABC's language expert. You can listen again to his lesson on grammar, abc.net.au slash Sydney and how it's more slippery than you may think. There you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast next week. What is an ecosystem? Richard Kingsford will be with us from the University of New South Wales. That's Self-Improvement next week. Listener.